everyone was paying too much attention to their existing challenges, their existing business, and not enough time into the future. We're so profit-driven that we're not thinking about the sales growth and the attention towards new products that are going to carry out in the next three to five to 10 years. Before we get on with this week's show, I'd like to tell you about an online event, Automated Creative Running, called Why Do We Need So Many Ads? An Introduction to Live Creative Optimization. The reality is that your competitors are probably already using live optimization, unearthing new insights and getting huge return for their media spends. We've actually proven over serving 6 billion impressions that brands that don't do this leave 17% of media value on the table. So this event is for newbies and pros. So if you're live optimizing curious or just fed up with how your ads are being optimized then this event is for you if you go to www.automatedcreative.net there is a link at the top of the page Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative, the creative effectiveness ad tech platform. And this is a podcast about the future of data-driven marketing. Every week or so, I get to interview a guest about where they think the industry is going. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with David Koshpasan, who is Amazon Performance Marketing Manager at Hasbro. David, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give the audience a bit of background? Appreciate that, Tom. Thanks uh, for having me today. So primarily, my role at Amazon is to work on Amazon advertising and the strategy, uh, mainly PPC, search, and DSP. Marketing for me started when I was about 17, um, really had a passion for uh, learning and curiosity into how people think and behave. And that's carried me all the way into uh, working at an ad agency and then luckily carrying me into uh, my role here at Asbro. So that's an interesting journey, but I'd like you now project into the future towards the end of your career. How would you want people to remember your career, the people you work with and looking back? I really want to be remembered for taking research and putting that into practice in a never-ending pursuit of knowledge and learning. Uh, I think that's that's a key pillar. Um for anyone, um, particularly in my career, as I love learning about consumer behavior and how to apply that. Can I ask you an obvious question, but why do you love that? Why are you so passionate about that? Why would you want someone to remember that specifically about you? <laughs> you know, it, I think it's just so ingrained into my personality and who I am. When I was really young, like the age of seven, I was so curious about why Bermuda Triangles existed and looking to en- encyclopedia books to try to figure out why. And, that curiosity just leaned itself into psychology and um, learning about marketing and advertising. And I've just never let off the pedal since. So I, w- I would like for that same type of behavior to perhaps be carried on um, and to, to see the financial success that can come from that um, with my peer set group or anyone else across industries. And how does that Bermuda Triangle mindset like show up day to day in your role? I think there's a lot of unknowns that that continue to exist in, in business challenges about how do we approach a problem? Um, how do we think about it in terms of many ways to solve a problem instead of one? And that Bermuda Triangle was a mystery. And I think that that passion to to try to learn more about uh, the opportunity to to help solve, I, I think, is uh, something that just is deeply ingrained that that I appreciate and want to continue to do. So 
I'm curious now to know what your top data-driven marketing tip is. What is that bit of advice you find you giving yourself most often? I think, you know, and especially in e-commerce, we we have a lot of quantitative data available. I think what's important uh, is to also do research in terms of qualitative data. Like, you know, looking at consumer behavior reports, uh, I mentioned that before, just understanding some of the biases that exist in humans and how that applies to, let's say, Amazon. And, and to understand consumer behavior from a viewpoint of, you know, social proof and how product reviews ended up turning into conversion and how brand familiarity can actually create a bias towards conversion and help um, add efficiency. So I think much like economics started out quantitatively, and then Daniel Kahneman came in and for who's a psychologist added emotional element to it. I think in the future, we're going to see, see more of that qualitative data hold just as much as importance as the quantitative. And so how do you see that coming into like the day-to-day of, of data-driven marketing, right? You know, fundamentally you're, I'm going to make some assumptions here, sat in front of a platform and trying to work out how to drive sales of a, a range of different products. But how do you see the qualitative element coming into that? Is that like running like live panels or is it just doing like interviews yourself? Because one's kind of definitely hardcore numbers on a screen and the other is tough stuff. So how do you see in the future those two things integrating? Yeah, it's a good question. For for right now, I take a lot of research that's already been written and then I go into the form of testing to test what what is being considered as a bias at a small scale and seeing if it's successful. And if it is, then expanding that into a larger representative testing set. And then if it's successful again, figuring out how to optimize it. So that's how I handle it right now. Um but I, I would be curious myself to see what other ways uh, we're able to extract and, and learn data from beyond just research reports. So where do you stand on correlation versus causation? So there was a guest on the show last week and they were talking about a book and I can't remember the title of it, but the premise was, is that you can never be sure what, you, what you're what you doing is working. So like in our world, this product sold really well, but that could have been that the competitor product was out of stock, for example. But yet there's no, well, there is some data on that. You, you might be able to ascertain some of that or guess. But in reality, in our world as data-driven marketers, quite often we're like, oh yeah, that was definitely the thing that drove the outcome. Yeah, that was all us. That was our decision. Whereas in reality, there's kind of chaos out there that could be affecting those things in different ways. How do you make sure that there's causation and, and not just correlation in your work? Yeah, the the one point I would say is to to look at the signals to see if you're just really simplify things. Are we hidden in the right direction? Or are we not? Are we are we backpedaling? Um, for some of that, in my line of work, you can actually see this at a keyword level. So, for instance, if we were going after a specific search term um, with a set of key products, we would be fairly certain based on the performance that we're getting um, whether it was working or not, whether sales were increasing, what the profitability on that was. Um, so we would be able to tell that. But completely aligned on on that overarching thought because you know, what what type of products were being advertised and how much of that familiarity caused that conversion for these specific search terms. It's hard to, it's hard to say. And um, I think that's why testing is so pivotal. There's this uh, saying that uh, theories are nice, but reality is a lot messier. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here in terms of the messiness of reality and, and really trying to drill down onto the effectiveness of the ad. But 
definitely just continue to look at many signals to see if if you're heading in the right direction or not. So we're going to move on now to your shiny new object. I think you're the first person in about 200 odd episodes who's chosen a book, which is The Alchemy of Growth. I have not read this book. Tell me why that is the most impressive shiny new object that you want to share with us today. Well, I loved it. You know, when I first came across the book, which was a year ago, um, I was just searching, what would a chief strategy officer read? And this book (laughs) populated (laughs) in a Harvard Business Review article. And I was like, you know what, let's give it a go. And the best thing about it is it's, it's a diagnostic tool. It's it's a way to communicate across other managers and leaders to get on the same page. And the most important thing, it's a framework. And I think frameworks are so important. When I first came to, to Hasbro a year ago, and I did an audit of all the accounts, but the biggest opportunity that I saw was for us to create a framework that we could all follow by, we could talk about it, uh, we could strategize together on on how to grow, which is essentially the, the underpinning theory of the book. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Manfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. However, I'm going to track you back a little bit to your previous comment, which was, what was it? Like, theories are great, but the reality is a lot more grubby or messy. That's exactly right. So, so, so frameworks are lovely, man. Everyone's got a beautiful framework, but the reality is awful. Assume I'm never going to read the book. Talk me through it. What are the main things to take away? Yeah, absolutely. So they say in the book, why aren't all enterprises growing? And what they found was there was no continuous pipeline of uh, business initiatives where the new replenishment of products or businesses was outpacing the decay. And when people think about their business or their enterprise, they think about it in terms of one lifespan instead of thinking about it in terms of a garden where you're planting seeds, they're growing and they're taking over the next season. And ultimately, they provided the framework or three horizons. The first horizon is your core business. The second horizon is your near-term business, where you're not uh, looking at profits, more revenue and market share. And then your third pillar, like the seed growth opportunities that can help you outlast in the next 10 years. And the main challenge that they found in the book across global companies was Everyone was paying too much attention to their existing challenges, their existing business, and not enough time into the future. They And that each horizon needs to be managed concurrently at the same time. So that's kind of the framework and the philosophy that I took with our media to say, okay, and let's break these out into horizons. Let's use our marketing and advertising to say, what do we have in terms of our operational media effectiveness and efficiencies? Where can we make this more efficient, more productive, more profitable that'll help set us up for the second horizon where we can run advertising where ROAS is not the target. Return on ad spend, ROI is not the target. We want to drive revenue. We want to drive market share. And then that third pillar I used for this year as testing. So we could 
say, hey, look, the goal is to test and to learn, not to drive profitability. Um, we're going to see what the outcomes is, our outcomes are and learn from them. So that's kind of how what the framework is and how I've set it up uh, so far for this year. So it's there's three things, three horizons, right? They're all definable. They're all different. It sounds so persuasive, but there must have been proof in this book to make you want to go with that, right? Because that sounds like a model to me. Like I could take that back into automated creative and go, right, we're going to, you know, let's not get distracted by horizon one. We're going to have two and three. In the book, convince you that this was going to deliver impact for you. Well, I had so many experiences previously at an ad, ad at the ad agency where because retail media is so effective at conversion and digital media um, in general, uh, where ROAS was the the target that we always want to hit, you know, what's the return on ad spend? Uh, that was the primary focus. And I think uh, previously I'd, I'd heard a, a compelling argument about brand marketing and it's actually uh, effectiveness and the bias of creating more efficiencies for the future, but you have to invest in it. And having that experience uh, across multiple brands. When I read this book, I was just like, oh my God, they're so right. They're they're literally playing out some of the, the challenges that I'm ex existing today where we're so profit-driven that we're not thinking about the sales growth and, and the attention towards new products that are going to carry out in the next the three to five to 10 years. Um, so it was really compelling to me to, to see it actually in the real world and then to have it spelled out where we could say, hey, look, it's okay for us to be testing. In fact, it's a competitive advantage for us to, to be rigorously testing um, just as much as we care about the profitability in our core business. So what happens from a resource perspective when you're focusing on two and three, but something bad happens with, with Horizon One, right? And then it's all hands on deck. Like, How firm are you about not ditching two and three when one gets busy? Because it's great having a plan, but reality happens. Yeah. And there's, there's another scenario where um, you have a really good uh, cash flow opportunity for for new revenue that's in the pipeline, but your core business is in such decay, you just can't invest. And I think that's kind of where you're getting at. And the diagnostic tool is, is, is so good to look at each set and say, okay. And that's what I did when I first came in. I said, let's start with our core business. In what ways can we create marketing efficiencies that will allow me to use some of that um, extra revenue and, and budget uh, to to put into this investment for testing? So that that's how I would look at it because there's I feel like there's they they call it sweet and sour you know and the sour is your operational excellence really identifying your marketing um, for me it could be controlled at a bid level for instance but what are we doing in terms of performance where we can use investment I think at the end of the day your the main investment allocation should be towards that core business but I think too much of the time a hundred percent of the allocation is. Uh, towards that core business, and to your point, if things go if things go wrong, you need to stay the course. But there's uh, a a philosophy of taking a staircase approach, where we're taking small steps, we're not taking giant leaps. So for you know your next year, if you were a business, uh, you could do an audit for yourself and say, where am I lacking in terms of future attention? Let's start to take a step towards that. That way, when these challenges arise you can take active mitigations and kind of maneuvers to be flexible around them instead of big leaps.
And so what is the danger with this strategy of over-investing in speculative like Horizon 3 areas? Like you've used the word testing a lot. Obviously, that's a very difficult thing to argue against. You just test. It doesn't matter. Keep it, keep it cheap. Keep it quick. But this industry moves very quickly and often it's difficult to separate the shiny new objects from the thing that's going to deliver growth. So how do you decide what goes into Horizon 3? How do you make sure that you're testing the right things Is, or do you just test everything? I think it goes back to really deciding where your business wants to be uh, five to 10 years from now. Do you want to be a market share leader? Uh, do you want to, to escalate sales growth by X percent? Um, if you If you do and you have that viewpoint, they can start to backtrack about how can we get there. Uh, Disney in the in the past was a good example. You know, they they originally had the cartoon. They expanded to theme parks. They they expanded to to more movies than they had. If you think about even today, before that, they even had retail shops. That was new for them. Was a new business venture. And then they had the streaming business, which they had to, in my opinion, get into. But if you think about it, always starting back from the cartoon, they ventured way beyond themselves and their success. Another way could just be even global expansions into new territories. But the 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 problem with this is everyone focuses on, well, what happens if I take the risk? Well, there's a funny saying where it's this like, have you ever gotten the bill for not taking the risk? Because if you don't do anything, this is the problem with the challenges that businesses face is that you will decay and there won't be a pipeline for your future. And I, I think we have to start to look past the quarters and start to look past the annual reviews and start to really start to make decisions about placing those bets and their seed growth bets. So they don't need to be you know major investments in them, but I think chances need to be made and they need to be watered and, and fostered um, for any business to try to be able to create competitive advantages for themselves um, and to in order to grow. One of my favorite project management quotes, even if it is a project management quote, I'm not sure, but it basically says there's no such thing as a small project, just a small budget. So you may have a smaller bet on Horizon 3, but how do you protect against it, like taking over the important profit center of Horizon 1? Yeah, that's where I think getting aligned on that that framework is so important because it goes back to the, the second point about language and communication with fellow management. Because you're saying, hey, look, we've made some really great strides to our core business and our, actually our profits are up. In our second pillar, we're driving revenue and market share. And while ROAS is not the primary target there, um, it's not to say it's not accountable, but it's not the primary target. We're making some strides there. And that third pillar for testing, we're, we're all in agreement that at this small scale of testing, we're here to learn. And it's going to help drive this year's business or next year's business that could create competitive advantages for us. So you really have to stick to the guns there and, and be in alignment with everyone that that traditional mindset of only focusing on your core business and profit and sales um, is such a near-term thinking that it's not going to help growth. And that that commitment to, to testing or see growth opportunities is what's going to drive the business in the future. Uh, and helped create those unlocks is is just something everyone has to to get along with. So unfortunately, David, we are at the end of the podcast. I would love to keep on talking to you about this book, and I'm going to go read it. Like I think that sounds fascinating. But if someone wants to get in touch with you about this or any of the other topics we've discussed, where is a good place to do that, and how would you like them to reach out to you? Yeah, appreciate that. LinkedIn is probably uh, the best place to connect. Uh, you can search my name. Feel free to message me, send a connect. 
I'm more than happy to to help share some ideas or um, I can learn from you as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Tom. Hi. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything. I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.